I scrapped my entire sermon at the last minute and started all over again. So maybe there is not anxiety, but anticipation. Maybe that's the word. And so in, in, an, in anticipation for the good things to come, I just want to I just want to recognize a couple of people here, not just all the Woven family, Pastor John and Leanne, we once again, we're grateful um, for your relationship and the way that you've kind of helped us to find our way here. So we want to recognize, also I want to recognize some of the Ashford staff, if you could just stand and so people can see who you are. I see Catherine, Jeff, Justin, who else is in the house? All right, so these are the people that, that yeah, yeah. I also want to recognize Baxter and Margie Swanson, who are the, uh, if you guys could stand, it's an honor to have you, it really is an honor to have you um, worshiping with us today. They were the director of personnel for all of the covenant missionaries in the entire world, and so they were based out of Chicago and are contemplating, contemplating a transition, which I am really, really excited about, really hoping that it will be here in Houston. So um, welcome to Baxter and Margie. And uh, well, let's get into it. Wow. I got to make sure I don't fall off the edge of this platform. I'm not used to this. A couple of things. The worship team, you guys sounded great. You guys did really well. First time up here. You guys did really great, and, you know, we're all kind of getting used to this new setting. Here at Woven, we started a series capitalizing on the New Year's resolution thing, and we call it hashtag Daniel Plan, Daniel Plan. And the series is all about making an internal change. At the beginning of every year, we all decide that we're going to lose weight, that we're all going to eat better, that we're going to exercise more. By the way, Paul, I see it. You look great. <laughs> You look really, really good. You're ripping out of your shirt, man. And um, the thing about change is it's not easy. Anybody that's tried to make a change, you know how difficult this is. You know uh, the, the, um, the mental hurdles that we have to go through and the spiritual hurdles. And I talked about this in January, about some of the spiritual experiences, the spiritual hurdles, how really the Holy Spirit has to come upon us in order to facilitate change. Last Sunday, I talked about friendship. Because if we make a change, what's going to keep the change? What's going to sustain it? And I made the case last Sunday that friendship is one of the things that we need in order to keep going. Well, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to work out. Well, that fizzles out eventually if you're just making a commitment to nobody else but yourself. Or I'm going to change my behavior. Well, see how far you can get without accountability and without honesty. And so I'm going to continue that conversation about friendship today, about friendship. And uh, my first sermon was, uh, I'm glad I'm not going to be doing that. It <laughs> probably wasn't appropriate for this occasion. I wanted to come a little bit more warm a lot more with stories and um, do a little bit of reflection. And so what I'm going to talk about today, you'll find it in your bulletin, are three principles about spiritual friendship. Three principles about spiritual friendship. And we'll make our way through those three principles. And um, what I'd like to do is reflect on one verse from Psalm 133. Psalm 133 it says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers. And that word brothers, um, it can be translated family members. So I think we can fairly say for brothers and sisters 
to dwell together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity. And that's going to be our reflection verse for today. We're going to just reflect on those words. I'm not going to do any profound exegesis or exposition um, as much as I, I wanted to, but like I said, I think today is more of a story day. It's more of a reflection day. And I think the subject is perfect. Friendship. Not just individual, but congregational friendship. So the first friendship, the first principle of friendship is that it's a gift. It's a gift. And anybody who's relocated to Houston knows that friendship is not something um, to be taken for granted. Those of you who've moved here from somewhere else in the last five years... For myself, it was seven, almost eight years ago when I relocated to Houston. It's hard. It's like, you know, you, you meet somebody, you're like, can you be my friend? Or I'm lonely. And I've, you'd be surprised how many times I hear that. And we've had a lot of, for some reason, our church draws a lot of expats, people from different parts of the country. And I hear it regularly. I'm lonely. I'm looking for friends. I'm looking for community. I'm looking for community. If they, if they don't want to look kind of so sad, then they'll say, I'm looking for community, which is really a nice way to say, I'm lonely. I'm looking for friends. And anybody who's had a real friend, and I'm sure all of you have, know that friendship is not just something like a, a cake mix where you put the ingredients in a bowl and it just happens. Friendship requires chemistry. Chemistry. And it's not something that um, happens overnight either because you're going to work at it. You're going to be in the same room. You're going to be in the same congregation, maybe under the same kingdom city roof. And friendships are things that are going to take intentional effort. But along the way, boom, we find that something called chemistry begins to form. That is when you realize, man, it's a gift. Friendship is a gift. Friendship is a gift. Friendship is about chemistry. I like war stories. I like stories about, um, in particular, World War II. I'm waiting till my son is old enough to introduce him to some of these classic movies about World War II. He's definitely not old enough. And I like these stories not just for the action and for the, for the excitement. In particular, I'm drawn to the camaraderie. There's one, one World War II series, it's called Band of Brothers. I watched the series and I read the book by Stephen Ambrose. Um, how many of you have ever heard of that story of the 101st Airborne? And for me, what drew me to that story so much was not so much the action or the violence or whatever. It was the camaraderie that was developed by this group of men and by people who are going through suffering together um, Kind of reminds me of that uh, Forrest, Gump, Forrest Gump saying, well, there's this guy from this part of the country, and then there's Tex, and I don't know where he was from. <laughs> and you have people from all over the country thrown together into the soup, and then they suffer. And through that, and I'm not saying there always has to be suffering, but chemistry begins to develop. Now, I know for Woven, we've been together for three years. We've seen people come. We've seen people go. But I know that the chemistry has formed for those of us that have been through this church plant for the last three years, setting up and breaking down, putting all the, remember we were putting all the stuff in boxes into three different cars before we got the trailer? And then remember the trailer? I still have it in my garage, and I'm ready to get rid of it. And this whole experience 
This whole experience of being, being in the soup together. Friendship is a gift, but I also want to add this. Friendship is not something that is chosen. I like him. He's cool. I want to be in the club with him. And what you find is that sometimes the chemistry doesn't fire. It's a gift. It's something that comes from heaven. It's something that we realize it, it's not personally chosen. It's, it's, it's not necessarily a collection of like-minded individuals gathered together. Friends, are you ready to develop friendships that are deeper in our community but even beyond? Friendships that go beyond. Friendship is a gift. Behold, how good and how pleasant, good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. The second principle about friendship is that it's a healing sacrament. It's a healing sacrament. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to get all kind of high church on you here, talking about sacraments and stuff. When I say it's a healing sacrament, what I mean is it's a means of grace. Friendship is a way that you and I are going to be healed. Friendship is the means. It's the one means that God uses to make you a better individual. Try becoming better or more whole or more healthy alone on an island. It is the context of friendship that makes us whole. It heals us. And for this, I want to tell an old German fable, an old story about a group of porcupines in winter. The group of porcupines in the cold winter night gathered together, and, they, and so the group of porcupines spent the entire night, nobody got any sleep, negotiating distance. <laughs> Either they got too close and poked each other, or they were too far apart that they were not experiencing warmth. Now, friendship is this experience of negotiating distance. Distance and negotiating and learning how to relate to other people. A lot of this is the, it's, it's the, it's the crucible of relationship. It's the crucible of relating. Those of you here at Woven, you know that um, I draw a tremendous amount of inspiration from the recovery community. And from those who are recovering from addictions such as drugs and alcohol and so on and so forth. And it's very interesting that when you have somebody who is recovering from some substance, whatever it is, let's say it's alcohol. And after a couple of years of sobriety and a couple of years of getting clean, they find that they want to go out there again. It's been five years, and man, I'd like a drink. Why do they want to go out there? And all of a sudden, the sponsor calls them and says, hey, man, you're ready for the next step. You've been in AA or whatever, NA, and you've been here for this many years. It's time for you to start going to something called ACA. And this is interesting. ACA stands for Adult Children of Alcoholics, and you can extend that to dysfunctional families. So technically, we can all be members of ACA. Dysfunctional families. Why is going to ACA necessary for somebody in recovery? Because you can work on your own stuff. You can become a better and healthier human being. But in the end, we're going to find that our relatedness to our family members is going to drive you to drink. 
It's going to make you crazy. And even though you are standing on solid ground and man, praise the Lord, I had a good worship service at Kingdom City on Sunday and then you go home or you get a phone call from your in-laws or you get some kind of interaction with your brother who's on the other side of the country and you're like, man, you see the Holy Spirit just, you know, Holy Spirit and it's all spilling out everywhere because man, I just really want to just, they drive me crazy. Relatedness is this place, and by the way, in ACA, it's, it's very interesting. They have to go through this process of finding the proper way to negotiate distance, but also warmth. Life is about learning to negotiate in relationality, distance, but also warmth. There are people sometimes, even in churches, that are walking around with people stabbed and impaled upon their issues, walking around in church. This is called codependency. Or you're carrying other people around on your, on your spines. And then there's people that are like, I never want to get stabbed again. I never want to get my heart pierced again. I never want to get hurt again. And so I'm going to keep a distance, an emotional distance. I'm going to be passive or passive aggressive. Friendship is the practice field. It's the place of practice where we're learning to be healed and healthier, and more whole. Distance, vicinity, but there's another side to this. Friendship is not just about relatedness. It's about being comfortable with yourself, comfortable in your own skin. You know, um, uh, worship team and myself, being up here, you know, it's, it, it can be a harrowing experience. I'm having fun. But the thing is, we're learning how to be comfortable with our identity. You're learning to be comfortable with a new platform in life, in your work. Monday to Friday, you are learning how to be a competent professional. You are learning how to be a self-defined individual. How do we become self-defined? How do we get more healthy as individuals? Because all we want to do is either impale other people on our spikes of codependency or we want to keep so far distant. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let the person who cannot be alone beware of community. Walking through a tattoo parlor, browsing the designs, I'm always kind of interested in the next cool design. You can see the, the different tattoo designs. You can see the, the, the ubiquitous frat boy tribal, you know, the, the frat boy tribal, right? Or then you have the hipster designs, you know, tattoos on the weird parts of the body, weird designs. And then you have the sailor tattoos, the sailor tattoos. And among all of the tattoos, there's one tattoo that stands out and it says, born to lose. Born to lose. Born to lose. And so you ask the tattoo artist, who in their right mind would tattoo on their body, born to lose? And you know what he says? He says, there's lots of people. Because before the tattoo's on the skin, it's already on the spirit. It's already on the mind. And our understanding of ourself, in many ways, is tattooed with all kinds of horrible things. Loser. Failure. Repeat failure. Unable to succeed. Unable to relate. At Woven, 
I really hope that we're not just a Sunday service anymore. For a long time, we've been, guys, we've been meeting in a school, and we don't have to do that anymore. I pray that this place will be a place of healing. Throughout the week, it'll be a place of counsel, care, growing healthy, marriages growing stronger. Pastor John talked about that this morning, that this will be a place where relationships and families are restored. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Third and last, friendship is a covenant. Friendship is a covenant. So friendship is a gift. Don't take it for, adva- don't take it for granted. When you find a friend, know that you found a treasure. Be thankful for it. And secondly, friendship is a healing sacrament. It's the way God works on us. Third, healing. I'm sorry, friendship is a covenant. It's a covenant. You know, this phenomenon of I want to find the perfect church. I want to find the church that meets all of these needs. The pastor has to dress a certain way. The music has to be a certain, the, the design and the layout. I mean, for crying out loud, just go to church. Just sit down, plug in, get involved in the community. You're never going to like everything. You're not going to be happy with everything. Just find a church. There's this great, great story about this. Uh, uh, it go, it's a... Uh, what do you call it? A Western. A Western. A Western movie. It's from the 80s, so I don't know if it really qualifies. Uh, you might not consider this. Some of the people here might not consider this a real Western. But it's, it's Tombstone. Tombstone from the 80s. Uh, star, and uh, there's a couple of versions of this, but you've got to get the right one. It's with Val Kilmer, Kurt Russell, and uh, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Such a good movie. Such a good movie, and I'm not going to spoil it for you because you should, everybody should know the story of Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp. So basically, Doc Holliday's dying at the end, okay? He's dying. He has tuberculosis, and he's lying on his bed, and Wyatt Earp is sitting next to him. He's played by Kurt Russell, and they're playing cards, playing poker. And, as, and, and Val Kilmer is dying. He's such a good Doc Holliday. And as he's dying, he, says, he puts the cards away, and he says, Wyatt, stop messing around. He says, Wyatt, and he gets serious. What did you want with your life? And then Kurt Russell's playing White Herb. He says, well, I don't know. I just wanted a normal life. I just wanted a normal life. Normal people. Normal circumstances. Are norm- and I just wanted a normal life. And Doc Holliday, he says, Wyatt, there is no normal life. There's just life. So go get that, that, that steely-eyed blonde or whatever. I forget. Uh, who it was, and go get her and go live or something. There is no normal life. There's just life. There is no normal church. Really, normal is a code word for perfect. There is no normal friend. There is no normal, I'm just looking for normal people to hang. There is no normal people. There is no normal, there's just life. There's just church. There's just people. Go in and go deep, friends. Go in and go deep. We don't get the privilege of picking and choosing who's on the premises. We find who is in the community. You go deep. Well, I don't have chemistry with her. Give us time. Friendship is a gift. Go deep. Friendship is a covenant. It's a covenant. That's the third fill-in-the-blank. It is not consumerism. It's not a country club. 
in the foxhole with you. Whether they're politics or not, they are in your foxhole. Whether you like the way they dress or their style, they are in the foxhole with you. And it is in this context that we accept, we practice this great, great spiritual discipline. I talk about it a lot. It's called acceptance. And as we practice acceptance, community and friendship becomes a covenant. It becomes a sacrament. It becomes a tremendous, tremendous gift. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. I know what it's like to pastor a church that goes through seasons of unity and disunity. It is not good when there's disunity. It is very hard. But this is a good time we're in right now. There is unity. It feels good. Amen? Last story. How does friendship work? This is how friendship works, and I'll conclude with this. I've been waiting to tell this, this analogy for like years. There, there, were, there were two men who decided to climb the Matterhorn Mountains, the Matterhorn Mountain of the Alps. And so they knew they couldn't do it on their own, so they got help. And they made friends with three local guides, three local guides. And through time, chemistry began to build. They began to trust each other with their lives. They did a lot of practice sessions. They roped in with each other. And they knew what it meant to trust the other person holding the line. And finally, it came to a test when they were making their actual ascent at a very, very steep portion of the mountain as they were going up. One of the men, one of the guys, slipped. Crampons broke right through. He fell off and he was flailing and he was falling, but the rope caught him. The rope caught him. And were it not for the rope and his connectedness with other people, he would not have made it. Do you know what it's like to slip? I do. I do. I know what it's like to make mistakes. I know what it's like to do things that I know were wrong. I know what it's like to slip. We slip. But what holds you? It is not your ability to scramble back up because you've slipped so far that you're dangling, you're flailing, you're in trouble. What holds you and what keeps you connected is the rope that you have that is relationship with other people in community. Friendship is this covenant that will save you when you slip. And so, friends, I invite you at this time to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would begin to introduce just some faces, some visages, some visions in front of our eyes at this time. That we would see the Joes or the Marks or the Larrys or the Bettys. That we would see the coworker or that we would see the roommate. Somebody, some face appears before your eyes at this time. And as you see this face, this visage, hold that person in your mind.
Just reflect on how you relate. Maybe you want to make a commitment to that person. Maybe there's somebody you need to check in on. It's been a long time. These ropes are what will save us. So, Lord, we pray for our relatedness. We pray that you would heal us. We pray that in this process of relating well our minds, that you would show us what to do. I pray that you'd show us how to become better friends or how to make a friend. Maybe the face you saw was even right here, somebody right here. I encourage you to reach out, reach out to that person. So, Lord, each of us made in the image of God, I pray that you would bless, that you would anoint, that you would seal the commitments we've made at this time. In Jesus' name.